You may have a seat. Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 14. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have been on a missionary journey, and they've been going from place to place. We're picking up where we were, where we kind of left off last week. Um, going to head back a couple verses just to, to get us uh, caught up a bit. So then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there for a long time with the disciples. This is the reading of God's word. I want to start today by giving us some context of, of how this can be meaningful to us by, by getting us like, what is this big story that this little story is, is wrapping up? So verses 26 through 28, what I just read, from Attilia they sailed back to Antioch. Antioch is the place where they had been committed to the grace of the God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they reported things. So I, now, Antioch is the place where they were committed to the grace of God, and they have completed a work in which they were sent to do. So we, this is where we started our whole series several weeks ago. So let's go back to that again, Acts 13, 1 through 4. Now, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. So there's a church in Antioch. There are prophets and teachers. There, are, there is this group, and they are seeking the Lord, and they are praying, and they feel directed by God to take two of their leaders and say, you go to places where nobody's went yet to talk about Jesus. You go to places where, where there is no faith in Jesus. They do not know about Jesus the Messiah. They do not know he came for us. They do not know that the God-man Jesus came, died on the cross for our sins, was raised to life, that we have an, uh, an opportunity for life after death. They don't know any of this. And you're going to go to these places where you've never even been, probably, and, and you just go and let's see what happens. Now that is... You're going to go to a place where there are Jewish people who have some familiarity with one God, with a creator God. You're also going to go to a bunch of people who are pagans. They believe in many gods, or they're totally loyal to a Roman, Roman empire, 
or at least subservient, thinking the Roman Empire is like God. You're going to go there. How? How's that going to work? What, what frame of reference do we have? Well, you're going to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit, God's presence is going to go with you. So they are gathering, seeking God. They are gathering in his presence. And he says, take these two apart and go. And they say, we're committing them to the grace of God. And they go. And what happens? Wherever they go, people come to faith in Jesus. They go to Cyprus. They go to the island in the Mediterranean. uh, And people come to Jesus. And people oppose them. Then they go to modern-day Turkey, they go to Pisidian Antioch, they go to um, Lycia, Derby, Lystra, they go to these places. Wherever they go, people come to faith in Jesus and people oppose them, sometimes violently. But they've gone and people have come to Jesus, and so as we get into this story, here's the reality. People have come to Jesus And now they're going to head back and they're going to visit three of these places where groups of people believe in Jesus. And in those same places, there are people who are actively wanting to destroy those groups. And now they're going to visit with them for a while. And now here's the question. The first question was, will anyone really come to believe in Jesus? Is there any way this will really, how, how do we even gain a hearing in these places? What are the odds that this will actually work? The odds are terrible unless there's a real God. Unless Jesus is real. Unless there's a power in the gospel. And they discover there is. But now the question is, will these places survive? Because Paul and Barnabas, they aren't just going to snap chat, you know, hey, if you need me, just, you know, be in in contact. There's no webinars happening. They're not going to see them the next weekend. This is their last chance. How are these groups? There is no New Testament yet of the Bible. There is no people who've been to seminary or commission pastor training or whatever. How are these groups going to survive and stay strong in their faith to Jesus? How's that going to work? And what we read is one of the things they tell them isn't like a, it'll be fine. It'll be easy. Don't, don't worry. You got God. You got God. Don't worry about anything else. Here's what they, here's what they say. Verse twenty. Two, the second part of verse 22, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some of us might, that are um, longtime Christians might bristle at that thought a little bit. We don't need to go through hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We get to enter the kingdom of God because Jesus died on the cross for our sins because he made a way and we just put our confidence in him. So what is this about us needing to go to hardships to get in? Jesus made a way. Don't we just get in by following Jesus? Yes, if we're talking about, like, say, heaven. How do we heaven? But what if the kingdom of God, not what if, the kingdom of God is where whatever God wants to happen is what happens. Where God's ways are what happens. Where God's will is what happens. And here and now, what we have is ultimately the kingdom of God will prevail. He is bringing everything towards an end. He is not nervous about what's happening in the world. Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars all the way to the end. There is not going to be peace on earth. 
until Jesus comes back as the king and establishes peace on earth over the whole land. So in the meantime, though, there is the kingdom of God operating where what he wants to happen is what happens. And there's also the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of the devil, of the evil. There is our own kingdoms where I get to decide what I want. And my operating system, apart from Jesus, is bent away from the kingdom of God. And so if I'm going to enter into a way of life where what God wants to happen happens, where it's the God's ways, where it's God's works, where it's God's will, if I'm going to enter into that, it's going to be hard. And there is going to be resistance. Again, wherever Paul and Barnabas went talking about Jesus, there was resistance People, there was joy. There was, we were, we're saved. There's, God loves us. God sees us. There's all of that. And there's also people, religious people and completely irreligious people against them. Now, my question that I started with thinking about in these passages is, man, what are the odds of these little groups of people surviving? The political system isn't for them. The religious system, the religious people that's established there, they aren't for them. They don't have a lot of resources at their disposal. What are Paul and Barnabas going to do? How are they going to make it? And when I was thinking of all of that, I was kind of comparing it to what we have. We have zillions of resources at our disposal from followers of Jesus, the scriptures themselves. We have people who've been trained, who've given their lives to it. We have all kinds of ways to communicate, all kinds of ways to connect. We have histories to draw upon. We have all of that. And yet, as I've thought about it more, my wondering is, maybe we are just as vulnerable as these early Christians were and we're just not aware of it. Because we have an organization, we have some staff, we have a building, we have some structures in place, and it can look like, I think things are going fine there. Statistics will tell us things are not going fine in the American church. People are walking away from the church in droves, Young people are walking away from church in droves. A whole generations that it used to be are getting raised in church are no longer being raised in church. People who say that they're Christians have incredible religious passion for politics, but not for Jesus, not for following his ways. It is disintegrating all around us, and it's partly because we think, well, I think it's good. I mean, if I look at this, what's the offering? What's the attendance? If I need somebody, I can call somebody who works there. And that's supposedly Christianity. That That wasn't there then. So they had to rely on something other than those things. Brothers and sisters, so do we. We are not going to make it from just, well, whatever is already established is okay. If we are not all in, we, you, all in, The resistance is coming. It is going to come more. We have to know that many hardships are coming our way, resistance are coming our way if we want to live in, walk in the works, the will, the ways of God, his way. 
Because the world, the devil, and our own very flesh, our own very simple natures are fighting against us on this. We do not just drift into the kingdom of God. We don't just go in neutral and get into the kingdom of God. So, two kind of big ideas of what I think Paul and Barnabas did to encourage these groups of people so that they would make it. And they did make it. First of all, rereading verses 21 and 22, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And then verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. What strikes me as I read these three verses is that Paul and Barnabas, I don't know, are they there for weeks, a few, probably a few weeks, not probably months the second time around. What they are focusing on is empowering the people. You take responsibility for your faith in Jesus. You do this for you and for each other. You take responsible for the good news of Jesus being established and being spread. You. So first thing, if you go to that in their empowerment, is that they encourage them to remain true to the faith. They encourage them, you need to be be focused on your confidence in Jesus, on the grace of Jesus. You have to. You have to do it. Not just show up every once in a while, not just say I believe, not just say it was a real thing at one point so we know it's always going to be. Remain true in the faith. Keep going. Keep focused. You take responsibility for you growing in the faith. The second thing is that they appointed spiritual leaders. They appointed elders from among them. Now, what was the resume of these spiritual leaders? Like, it's in some of these places, they didn't have, it wasn't even the Jewish people who knew the Old Testament. They hadn't had a lot of training then, and yet it was like, you're in charge. You lead people. You help people grow in their faith. And here's the thing, that mindset can be true for all of us in this room. We can, wherever we're at right now, say, I am going to help other people grow in the faith. I am going to try to model for other people in the faith. A number of years ago, here's how our whole membership thing, how we do it now started. We had a teenage profession of faith process Teenage profession of faith process where if a uh, teenager, a middle school or high schooler was going to join the church, they would meet with a mentor one-on-one and they would go through things like here's the basics of the faith, here's how you can grow, here's how you can use your gifts for God. They would, they would go through that. And Jackie Motes said as we were going through that, I think I get more out of this every time I take a kid through it than they get. We should be doing this with our adults. So we developed something that adults could take each other through. And we started with the staff and the elders at the time. I said, pick one person who you think would be a good mentor for someone else. 
and take them through this, and then they will need to take someone else through it, and then we'll have our 40 or 50 people to get this started. And then when people want to join, they can. You know what was the most common response when someone asked who they thought would be a good person for this? I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't take someone else through the, the faith. And we'd have to say, like, well, someone else thinks you can. Like, you, you've been in, you know, a lot of these people, you've been in church for a long time, but you can't meet with one other person, talk about the basics of the faith as they're written out, talk about your story, talk about... But that is most of our response. Like, well, not me. I'm not ready yet. I'm not that kind of person. Nearly all of the people who get asked to be elders, when they're asked, you know, you've been nominated, the number of people have nominated you to be an elder, their response is, I'm, I'm not an elder. There are a few who are like, oh, yeah, they were terrible elders. No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. I made that up. But honestly, there is this response of, I'm not an elder. You know what? We become elders. Like, we don't cross a line, now I'm good, now I'm an elder, now I'm a pastor. Now. I have to be, keep becoming elders. And whether we're an elder or a staff person or no title, we can become people who help lead others, encourage others, strengthen others in their faith. But if we don't see ourselves that way, we go passive. And when a majority of a church doesn't see themselves that way, well, someone else will do it, then, then we are not strong. And we are not encouraged. You know, I think part of my role here is to strengthen and encourage people in the faith. Well, I'll tell you, after being on vacation, not being here for a week, and coming back and just worshiping and listening to someone else teach for two weeks in a row and having other people pray, it, is, it goes both ways. We gather together to encourage and strengthen one another in the faith so that we can go in the presence of, with the presence of Jesus. My observation is the people who most involve themselves in the things of the church are typically the people who most grow. And when we step out of that, which for sometimes we just kind of have to step out for a little bit, but if we step out, it is easy just to keep fading and keep fading, and then the ways of God, the works of God, become less and less in our life. Because the resistance just pulls us back. Last thing on how Paul and Barnabas just like, they just let them go. It says they committed them to the Lord with prayer, seven fasting. That's supposed to be and. I, I had a typo. Prayer and fasting. Paul and Barnabas, when they got sent out, it was like God said to send them, set them apart. Before they sent them, they fasted. They laid hands on them. They prayed over them because it makes a difference. What they wanted to see happen between Paul and Barnabas, only God could do. There is no way people are going to come to faith in Jesus in these parts of the world, these kinds of people, unless God helps them do it. And so they pray and fast to say, we need you, God. We can't do it ourselves, God. 
And then it happened. It happens. And so when Paul and Barnabas are going from place to place as they're going to leave, they fast. Like I think about that like, oh, man, those poor guys. They had to fast in Derby. Then they had to fast in Lystra. Then they had to fast in Iconium. I mean, that's a lot of fasting. But they believed prayer and fasting because fasting is like prayer on steroids. And they needed extra power, help from God. And so they did that. We, this is, as, as Melinda was saying, this starts what the traditional Christian calendar has called Lent this week on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. We are over halfway through our initiative to fast, have somebody fasting every day from this church all the way until Easter. So if you have not done that yet, I would encourage you to, to sign up, or maybe you only sign up through February because that's all we had. I would encourage you, fast a meal once, or maybe even 24 hours, like from breakfast to breakfast. Fast, join in. This is my other encouragement for those of us who are doing this. Would you consider, if you're signing up on the thing, or even if you're calling the office to sign up the thing, type in a specific thing you're fasting for. I, I did a whole sermon series on fasting in December, so I'm not going to repeat that, but part of, part of fasting is just a discipline. It just helps us grow in the faith. But we also can pray and fast for something specific. And if you type something in on that message board that you can get to through our website or through the links that go in our email, I will pray for it. I will join you in praying for that specific thing. Let's... let's uh, Respect people's privacy. Let's not put other people's names. I'm praying for so-and-so because, you know, they're a terrible person. Let's not do that. You know, but I'm praying for this person who's struggling, and God can decode that. We'll join in praying. Maybe others will join in praying. That's just the thing. Okay, so that's the first section. Now, the other thing that we see is they shared stories. When Paul and Barnabas got back. I mean, it's just so different, such a different world. Like, they didn't have their Instagram account or their Facebook. They they aren't, like, keeping track of the journey as they go. Like, oh, look at the picture of them by that wall. Oh, look at this. Oh, yeah, Paul and Barnabas. Oh, yeah, they almost died. Okay. None of that. So, So they're just waiting for months, year, year two, and all, they come back. So what happened? Well, we started on this side of the island in Cyprus, and people gave it. And by the time we got to the other side of the island, the Roman proconsul, like the number one dude on the whole island, he wanted to hear about Jesus. And then a sorcerer guy tries to stop him. And then Paul, Saul says, you know, he's blind. You can't see. And he went blind. Like, wow. And then we went to this place, and these people were coming to faith, but then they opposed. But the, the non-Jewish people, the people that don't even have the Bible, they came to faith in Jesus. Wow. We, got, we went to this place, Lystra, and, and we're talking, and Paul, he healed a guy who was paralyzed in the name of Jesus. And the next thing they know, they're bringing out a bull. They got a bull. They're about to sacrifice a bull to us. Wow. Because people, but then if, All of a sudden, within 24 hours, Paul got stoned. Like, not the the kind that makes you happy, like the kind that you just, boom. (laughs) But then they still believed. 
And then we went to the next place and people believed. Like, wow. These people believed in God before all of that, but what happens to your faith when you hear these stories? I think it was in November that Daniel Fatma went on a mission trip to Tennessee for one, one family, one purpose, I think, to, to build a house for a family. And so at the end of the service, I said, hey, for whoever wants to pray for Daniel, come forward. So we just had a handful of people to, that stayed after to pray for Daniel. He was going to get his family so we could pray for all of them. In the meantime, a couple of us got mistaken for prayer ministers, even though we weren't there to do that. And so we prayed for somebody who, by the way, as an aside, experienced physical healing that we could like emailed, like I've been totally, I haven't been able to walk or do stairs for weeks and I could, I can now all of a sudden. Anyway, but this young woman came down. And so while waiting for Daniel, Camille started talking to this young woman. And, you know, she was visiting um, with some friends, like five friends. They were coming from all kinds of different parts of the state. So they picked an Airbnb in Knoxville as their meeting point. And so she looked at a website. She wanted to go to church that day. So she just looked, saw our website and decided to come. And then thought, well, they're praying for somebody. I'll come help pray for them. So Camille said, so what's your story? And she said, well, you know, I didn't believe in God. I didn't have, I wasn't a Christian or anything, but my husband had this guy at work that kept talking to him about Jesus. And he invited him to church. And then after inviting him to church, my husband, he just started to change. And at first, I didn't like it. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to have to do with any of this stuff. But like some good changes. Eventually, I started going to church. And now we're Christians. Like the kind of Christians that at, when you're visiting a church, you say, I'll go to the front and pray for someone else when you're a visitor. I mean... Compared to, I want nothing to do with it. And somehow I was like, so where, where does your husband work? Well, he worked for, works for a heat treating company in, in Waterloo. Oh, the one that Camille's dad started and owns. And so we could share with my father-in-law and with our brother-in-law, who's now the CEO you know what's happening at your company? You got someone who's talking about Jesus. And two people's lives are completely changed because of that person. And they knew right away, oh yeah, they know who it is. And they were excited because they want to help people. They want to make a difference. They want people to be employed and to have good jobs. And that's part of the way that they're bringing the kingdom. But they want to see God do things. And so you report the story and it's like, yes. That's what happens when we report our stories. A week or so ago, um, one of the elders was talking to about seven of us, just saying I've been, I was having a, just a rough day or so. It was just rough. So in the morning, I decided to fast that day. And right there, I'm already encouraged. Because most of us, when we're having a rough time, we decide to do the triple espresso latte, Right? We decide to binge on ice cream. Since I'm having a rough day, I decided I would fast, or a rough time I decided to fast. As I'm driving into work, I just say, God, I need a hug today. I need a hug today. Gets to, church, gets to work on their desk, 
is a $100 bill and a note from somebody at work just saying how much they appreciate them. You're like, it works. And they report it, and we get encouraged. There's an organization that I've been part of that I appreciate, and in the last few years, it is just, it is dwindling in so many different ways. To the point where I'm like, I don't think, I don't even know if this is going to exist in a year or two. I think it's just falling apart. So in the fall, late fall, winter, I wrote down this organization and I prayed for it. Now, how I, I, I tend to try to bathe things in prayer. So I have a page or two that I will go through several times during the week and I will pray for the things that I have written down. And then when I get to the next page or two, I just take that page and I, get, I stop praying for that. I can't, I can't keep praying for everything all the time. So for several weeks, I was bathing this organization in prayer. Kind of forgot all about it. Last week, I got invited to a meeting from this organization. And something has happened. Their numbers have doubled from a year ago. They are as high as it's been. And I probably wouldn't have even remembered that I prayed for that if I hadn't written it down and gone back to it day after day. But now, when I go to pray, or when someone tells me this morning, yeah, so you, you prayed, because I prayed for this person, you prayed for, for this specific thing, it happened. And they were wondering, like, what happened? And I told them, I know what happened. We're praying for you. What if a church does that? What if a church has an expectancy that is not just two or three people, but that we all, God listens to us all, because he does. God wants to hear from us all. And we tell the stories when it happens. Okay, i got to really speed it up. Two more things. So, yes, their own stories of faith I just shared. Stories, sayings, and prayers of the faith. Like I said, they did not have a New Testament Bible. So how does it work? How does it work back then? They have to tell the stories of Jesus, and they have different things they repeat. Like, Jesus taught us to pray these prayers. So we're going to just pray the Lord's Prayer every day, every time we get together. The reason that something like the Apostles' Creed came into being, because we can't read, we don't have ever, stuff written down for us. We're going to recite what we believe every time we get together. That's what we need. Aubrey talked about a couple weeks ago, like lack of biblical knowledge is one of the things that keeps us from feeling like we can share our faith. Just pick a few things and repeat them so that you have them. Then you can keep adding to it at any point, but get a, get a few things like the Lord's Prayer, like something like a story of Jesus, something, and just have it, just own it. And then it's easier to share our faith. And then lastly, what they did is they had a meal. They had the story of the meal of the night that Jesus was betrayed. And what he told them to do, have this meal in remembrance of me. And it's just a, a mysterious thing that somehow, by his spirit, Jesus is present when his followers take the meal. 
And this God who is wholly other than us, who is way outside of us, who is huge and filled with resources, somehow when we take the bread, when we drink the cup, we are taking from all he wants to give us and it comes inside of us. Somehow that happens in the meal. So we're going to, in a moment, go into communion. And just a couple words of instruction before we... When we do that, these two sections will come toward the middle, row, row by row. And then after you take communion at each station, you come back. These two, that way, and then around. If you need gluten-free, this station would have gluten-free, so come from wherever you are to get gluten-free at this station. In what can you and I do moving forward? How can we not be just a passive, hope some other people take care of it, but know that in these days we are all needed? We can come to Ash Wednesday this week. We can fast at some point in Lent. We can pray for something specific. We can say the Lord's Prayer every day. We can do we don't need to do all kinds of things, but we can do little things, but do them. Because your faith is dependent on you remaining true to Jesus. You sticking with Jesus and receiving what he, the grace he wants to give you. And guess what? Other people's faith will be impacted by you remaining true to Jesus by you living it out, the kingdom of God, his ways and his works moving through you. So we gather with each other to strengthen and encourage each other in our faith. All of us, all of us, even those of you who are like, oh, I mean, not me, I'm all of us. We gather here, we gather wherever, but with intentionality to strengthen and encourage our faith so we can go with the presence of Jesus and see what he wants to do and have all kinds of stories to share. So, at this point, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to say the Apostles' Creed together. Some of the truths of the faith that Christians have been reciting together for centuries. Okay, here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may have a seat.